1: Unexplainable is a science show about everything we don't know. Like, we don't know how bikes work.
0: Get out! Come on!
1: We don't know where the moon came from. Holy cow. You've touched the moon. This is incredible. We don't even know what life is. No one has been able to define life, and some people will tell you it's not possible to. Unexplainable takes you right up to the edge of what we know and keeps going. New episodes every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hi, I'm Hannah. And I'm Lauren. Welcome to the BioEats World Journal Club, where we discuss breakthrough scientific research, the new opportunities it presents, and how to take it from paper to practice. And today, we're talking about mechanical forces and architecture. Well, that doesn't sound very biological it is when you're talking about stem cells in the skin so these stem cells basically create their niche they build their home by producing the cells above them and this extracellular matrix mesh called the basement membrane that they sit on and the key question is whether when these stem cells acquire oncogenic mutations you know the ones that drive cancer. Do they now architect in a different way? Do they change the properties of their home? So why would their architecture matter and how do they change it? As we discuss, this new architecture could provide these now oncogenic stem cells with properties that enhance their ability to form tumors and invade other tissues. And they do it through manipulating the mechanical properties of the tissues. So you can think of this as changing stiffness or creating structures that put physical pressures on the tissues. And my guest today, Elaine Fuchs of Rockefeller University, and her lab investigated these mechanical forces in two distinct types of skin cancer. And we discuss how computational modeling played a key role in uncovering new sources of forces, and how changes in architecture influence invasive properties. We start with Elaine describing the role stem cells play as tissue architects.
1: What you have are the epidermal stem cells that are in control of their niche. They effectively are architects of that niche. They produce the terminally differentiating cells to create the skin barrier that keeps harmful microbes out and essential bodily fluids in. At the same time, they're depositing this basement membrane. And this is a very rich in extracellular matrix proteins, and it plays an important role in ultimately controlling the properties of these stem cells.
0: The skin is a tissue that has to regenerate consistently. You know, we're always shedding skin cells and they have to be replaced. So these stem cells produce both the cells that reside above them, which are the skin cells, and the basement membrane that sits below them, which is this extracellular matrix, this mesh of proteins that they sit on. As you say, I really like that. They
1: are the architects of this space. So We started to look at what happens when the stem cells acquire mutations that ultimately will drive the cells to a tumorigenic state. When the stem cells acquire a mutation that will constitutively activate the sonic hedgehog pathway, that they form basal cell carcinomas, which are relatively non-invasive. In fact, they hardly ever metastasize. Where in contrast for the squamous cell carcinomas, they are formed in acquisition with RAS activating mutations or with very high levels of RAS map kinase activity. And they are metastatic. They can break down the basement membrane. They're invasive. The two tumor structures are very different. And so it's led to this broader question of my laboratory of, are the tumor initiating stem cells also architects of their niche? And are they architects of the mechanical properties that the cells are responding to? Are the mechanical properties of the skin changing with these different oncogenes? And does that impact the behavior of why one type of tumor has a particular shape and is non-invasive in another type of tumor? Has a different shape and is invasive.
0: Right. The cancers that you're looking at both derive from these stem cells in the skin. And so when you have cancers in these stem cells, they change their architecture. So what I'm curious about is you mentioned that they do this through mechanical forces. So can you break down for me what you mean by mechanical forces?
1: Yeah. So with regards to The mechanical forces that the tissue operates on, you can think of many different levels. The simplest way of thinking at external mechanical forces is to think about rubbing the skin. If you rub your skin, you don't expect the stem cells to crush under that rubbing. That's heavy mechanical forces and it's external mechanical forces. But we can also think about local mechanical forces that are operating on the tissue, effectively pushing down on the tissue from the overlying differentiating cells or effectively providing differences in mechanical stiffness of, say, the basement membrane. Those are the mechanical forces that we're really interested in. Are there natural mechanical forces that are happening within the skin itself and then if so, where are they coming from? So that's what we set out to look at first in the normal epidermis, but then as the epidermal cells acquire either a sonic hedgehog activating mutation or a RAS activating mutation, where they create these two different tumor structures. So,
0: can you talk to me more about what we know about how mechanical forces? or how tissue architecture changes during the development
1: of cancer? So there are several different laboratories that have looked at it at the simple epithelial level, a case where you just have a monolayer of epithelial cells, and then those cells acquire a mutation that will give rise to cancer. So for instance, in pancreatic cancer, there, the findings have been that it's largely cell proliferation and the actomyosin cytoskeleton that plays an important role in generating the mechanical forces that can lead to the pancreatic cancer tumor shape. We actually started with that as a premise when we were looking at a stratified epithelial tissue, and yet the simulations used for a simple epithelial monolayer did not predict the differences in tumor shapes that we're seeing. We were surprised. And that's when we started to contact people like stash Schwartzman, who's a fantastic mathematical modeler and interested in mechanical forces. And so in a sense, it was a primed collaboration because we were beginning to realize that the simple suggestions that had been made from looking at just a model layer of all like cells, was not fitting our understanding of how these differences in tumor architectures were arising. We really needed someone who is trained as a mathematical modeler, really thinks through all the biophysics that is necessary to really come up with these predictions and to really go back and forth until we tested enough different possibilities to actually match the differences into our architectures that we
0: see. That combination of mathematical modeling and in vitro, in vivo, experimental work is so powerful. And that makes sense that a single layer of cells has a different set of mechanical forces than the skin, which has this layered structure with differentiated cells on top of the stem cells, which are themselves on top of the basement membrane. And as you mentioned, The pancreatic cancer shape can be modeled by this simple system, but not these basal cell or squamous carcinomas. So how does tumor architecture impact cancers? Like, why does it matter that one tumor has a different architecture than another?
1: Yeah, we didn't know (laughs) when we started this. We thought it was interesting that as stem cells acquire mutations, they override certain features of the microenvironment but they don't override all of them. So we knew quite a bit about the changes in gene expression that occur as the cells acquire a sonic Hedgehog mutation or a RAS mutation. But what hadn't been addressed in the field was really whether these different architectures are generated by different mechanical forces. If so, what kinds of forces and whether that matters at all with regards to the properties of these cancers.
0: That's really helpful. So now that we have this background on what mechanical forces are and how they influence tissue development, let's get into the specifics of your study. So can you describe for me the two different architectures that you observed between the basal cell carcinomas, the more benign, and then the squamous cell carcinomas, which are the more
1: aggressive ones? Yeah, the basal cell carcinomas, Basically, bud inward from the epidermis. They almost look like a beginning hair follicle when they start to form. And indeed, Sonic hedgehog is required for hair follicle morphogenesis. So, this budding-like architecture forms as the initial stages. In contrast, the squamous cell carcinomas develop a kind of folding architecture, where there's an indentation in the middle of the fold that there isn't in a basal cell carcinoma, and it's a shallower structure that forms. And so what happens then is that the squamous cell carcinomas develop these keratinized pearls in the middle of the tumor, looking very similar to the terminally differentiated cells in the epidermis. And pathologists use it as a diagnostic marker, but nobody's really thought that that could have any influence at all on tumor behavior, ourselves included. We hadn't been thinking that this ability to create these protective layers by the stem cells was creating any changes in the mechanical forces that were operating on the stem cells. So when I was looking at your figures,
0: the basal cell carcinomas, Reminded me of like a closed fist, so like a small contained unit, whereas the squamous cell carcinomas were more like an open hand, you know, they were more kind of v shape. So the keratinized pearls, they sit like in the palm of the hand and they resemble what the stem cells should have produced, almost just a pocket of normal cells.
1: Exactly. It's ironic that squamous cell carcinomas are more invasive and more metastatic because you think, well, those keratinized pearls, that must be just a differentiated state, that they should be the ones that are benign.
0: So how are they more invasive then? Is it have to do with the keratinized pearls themselves, or is it something about the cells that are generating them?
1: So you can think of it as basal cell carcinomas just spewing this thin elastic layer of basement membrane, effectively making a track for these cells to migrate downward and grow downward with. In effect, it never gives a chance to really become invasive because it's just providing more and more basement membrane to surround the tumor. Whereas the squamous cell carcinoma, the reason why they look like a hand instead is because they are not making basement membrane at that rate and they are developing a stiffer basement membrane. And so that creates a situation where it shifts the degree of mechanical forces in these tumors. So what we started to realize is that when the squamous cell carcinoma forms, that these keratin pearls are really putting mechanical tension on the basement membrane. And we think that that contributes to the weakening of the basement membrane, which ultimately is one of the hallmarks of squamous cell carcinoma is the breakdown of the basement membrane. Of course, there are enzymes, metalloproteinases that people knew about that are playing a role in the breakdown, but people had not been considering the notion that perhaps the mechanical forces could be creating this tension and weakening that we think is contributing to the process. And the reason why we think that is that we engineered mice where we could manipulate the basement membrane stiffness. And what we found is that if you allow a more elastic situation, that we can enhance the invasiveness of the squamous cell carcinoma. So it's not just metalloproteinases that are influencing this invasive behavior. It's also the shifting features of the mechanical forces that are operating on the tissue. And I think that's really the big picture of, I think, the findings in this particular paper. So for the
0: basal cell carcinomas, which don't tend to go metastatic, the nature of their mutations means that they spew out a lot of the components of the basement membrane, which makes the basement membrane less rigid, and then that provides the space for the cancer to grow, but also keeps it encapsulated. Whereas in the squamous cell carcinoma, you have Two different things that are happening. First, the nature of the genetics is they don't increase the production of the extracellular matrix that makes up the basement membrane. So that remains really stiff. Plus, they also have the keratinized pearls, the terminally differentiated skin cells above them that have a downward force. And so it's that combination of the stiffer bottom and the downward force that then force the cells to break through that lower membrane and that triggers like a metastasis.
1: So, it's really that concept of this combination of a lower level of basement membrane assembly and a medium amount of stiffness, and then this overlying pushing by the keratin pearls that is, I would say, it's not causing, we don't have evidence that it causes the breakdown of the basement membrane, but it's predicted to create tension on the basement membrane and weaken the basement membrane that, that could be then contributing to this invasiveness. We see the invasiveness. We see the breakdown of the basement membrane. We see that at sites where that's happening, there are keratin pearls within the tumor that could be contributing to this because of their stiffness. So altogether, the data really point to that, but we certainly don't want to discount the notion that metalloproteinases play a role in this process. They certainly do, and there's good genetic evidence to indicate that they're important. But the other interesting aspect is if you have something pushing from above, and now you degrade the basement membrane with metalloproteinases, now you can imagine it causing even a further invasiveness by virtue of that mechanical force.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, there's a lot of existing research showing that the degradation of the basement membrane by metalloproteases, which are induced by the cancers, is a key step in invasion and being able to kind of break out of that initial site of the tumor formation and move into you know, other parts of the body and expand further. So this work isn't saying that that's not the case, that that doesn't happen. It's saying that that is the case and that there's also this important mechanical force that we hadn't appreciated before, which is also... Playing an important role in the invasive nature of these cancers.
1: So, there are multiple different things happening, interestingly, right at that interface between the tumor initiating stem cells and the underlying stroma. So, we're really beginning to understand how essentially a new niche for these tumor initiating cells is they're acquiring these mutations. Their crosstalk with their neighbors is constantly changing during that malignancy. So, we are certainly not out of questions to ask and out of probable factors that are contributing to invasion and metastasis.
0: Yeah, earlier we talked about what you had seen when looking at a simple model of skin, you know, just a single monolayer of cells, wasn't able to explain what you observed in a stratified layered skin. And so that's where you had to bring in this computational modeling, your, work elegantly demonstrates all the different events that are happening the cell. It can't just be explained by differences in gene expression or, you know, the expression of metalloproteases. It's far more complex and multifaceted. So what are the practical applications for understanding these mechanical forces governing the tissue architectures? Does this influence how we think about preventing or diagnosing or treating cancer? Or is that kind of application farther down the line?
1: Well it's an interesting possibility because there's certainly possible avenues to come up with changing the mechanical properties of the tissue. So the issue right now is that people really haven't been investing a lot of energy into trying to come up with ideas about how to use a drug or manipulate the basement membrane. So I think it raises an interesting possibility for the future. But at the moment, I think this was such a surprise that to really come up with potential drugs that would say increase the stiffness of the basement membrane to halt invasive properties those kinds of things are really still just in the future and i think it's also an interesting possibility that we haven't tried yet is can we actually block metalloproteinases for instance and still get invasive behaviors by manipulating the basement membrane what's the relative contributions of these features to break down an invasion. I think, again, that knowledge could be very useful in terms of thinking about therapeutics for the future.
0: So I just want to make sure I have something right. So I thought that you wanted to increase the production and assembly of the basement membrane and make it more flexible to prevent the metastases so that it makes space for it and doesn't like force it out. Is that right?
1: Yeah, the issue is, is that if there's an oncogene there as well, Allowing for an increased growth of a tumor is probably not going to be the kind of pharmaceutical avenue you'd like to take. Whereas I think something that increasing the stiffness could be more effective because the less space you give cells to grow, the more their tendency is to terminally differentiate rather than to proliferate. So... I would say that would be the best avenue in terms of trying to utilize the kinds of properties that we've identified in terms of thinking to therapies.
0: I see. So it's not that you just want to allow it to grow and hope that it doesn't metastasize. It's that if you restrict it, then, you know, cells can't grow if there's absolutely no space for them to grow in. And the cells that are produced are going to terminally differentiate as opposed to, you know, these are stem cells that are generating the cancer and stem cells can either produce more stem cells or they can produce terminally differentiated cells. And so it's forcing them to produce the terminally differentiated cells that don't divide further as opposed to producing more cells that continue to replicate and spin off
1: more and more. In a way, that's a similar avenue to that that Mina Bissell has worked on over the years, where recreating a laminin structure for the tumor cells for mammary cancer, she could return some normalcy to the epithelial tissue. That was just looking at a simpler system, but it's got the same kind of concept that these kinds of avenues could actually be productive in terms of anti-tumor agents.
0: Yeah, we were talking about like the complexity of the tumor environment and all the different things that the tumor is inducing. And if you can shift some of those elements back towards normalcy, you might be able to tip the balance more towards preventing metastasis and further spread.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: If you could have our listeners take one thing away from this, you know, what's the key take-home message of the article
1: in our discussion today? I would say that There are mechanical forces that are produced by the stem cells themselves, and that changes their behavior. And the stem cells really are architects not only of their own tissue structure, but they're also architects of their own mechanical forces. And so it's together with mutations that ultimately will change the behavior of the stem cells that ultimately have an impact on tumor
0: behaviors. Elaine, thank you so much for joining me on Journal Club this week. It was a real pleasure to talk to you about this research.
1: Thank you very much. I enjoyed it.
0: And that's a wrap for this week's Journal Club. Did you know that I create a custom cartoon for each episode? Follow me on Twitter at LR underscore bio to see them all. And thanks for listening.